I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Last time on Man of the Crowd. The Baltimore Ravens are Super Bowl champions! John Harbaugh over Jim Harbaugh. The Ravens over the 49ers. How unique was the Super Bowl, having those two brothers there? Oh my gosh, no, it will never happen again. The Super Bowl was like winning the lottery on back-to-back days. (laughs) John would never feel guilty for winning, would he? No! I like mean, he, he 100% enjoyed He feels that. good. you got to be competitive. you got the juice has got to flow every day. And just today, it happens to be your brother. Yeah, you want to win, and my brother or not my brother. The thing about the officiating in the game has never been resolved. He forgets the calls that went his way. I think he over-exaggerates the calls that didn't get called against him, especially in the last series and all that. But, you know, he's never going to agree with that. I mean, he's never going to take that position. So it's just, we're basically at a hard, there's a line in the sand on that. You know what, you do wake up thinking, thank God I beat him. You do? Yes. It would have been a long life, you know? From the Baltimore Ravens, this is Man of the Crowd, a multi-episode podcast that pulls back the curtain on Ravens figures' personal lives. This season, the Harbaugh family. I'm Sarah Ellison. Who could possibly have it better than us? Nobody! you are fighters, and that's what you are going to be. Today, tomorrow, you are going to fight. Both John and Jim Harbaugh's NFL careers have been defined, in part, by the battles they fought with their own teams while simultaneously finding success on the field. It's just that Jim's battle with the San Francisco 49ers was a lot more public than John's because of several unusual leaks to the media during the 2014 season, really just a little more than a year removed from the Super Bowl. That was followed by what was termed a mutually agreed-upon separation. At least, that's how a 49ers public relations press release defined it, although few people believed it was really mutual. Despite making San Francisco an instant perennial Super Bowl contender, After the team hadn't notched a winning season in almost a decade, Jim was still out as the head coach after four seasons with the 49ers. The drawn-out battle between Jim and the 49ers ownership was long enough that Jim recently joked this last offseason on the TK show in the Bay Area that he deserved an award for enduring it. And that's because Jim's two coaching successors 
only lasted one year under owner Jed York, while Jim lasted four. I think we did, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think we did set a record for being for coaching there the longest under the present present ownership if yes, i'm not wrong you are correct you are correct so uh yeah take, take take pride in that maybe there should be an endurance uh medal a courage medal for that <laughs> have you uh had any conversation with jed york since you left no huh interestingly john had an internal battle of his own with the baltimore ravens now his was far less public but it actually lasted longer than Jim's struggle in San Francisco. It took five years to resolve the quarreling, which started the day John walked onto the job and really didn't completely end until he won the Super Bowl. But instead of fighting with ownership and management, John's battle was with his players. Because really, it was there was really a real, a real, a real conf, a real fight for the kind of the control of the team, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and I wish I wasn't backing down. Right. And what I saw in the eyes of the guys in the first meeting was just com- basically almost complete like, no, we're not buying into this. Mm. So I was in a position where I just had to have a real strong backbone and I just couldn't back up. What's remarkable is that despite these battles, John and Jim became the only NFL head coaches to ever advance to three conference title games in their first five years as NFL bosses. Hey, Jim even did it in three years. It took John the five, but he topped it off with the Super Bowl win. Anyway, I promise I'm going to dive more into these battles later. But first, I think it's important to point out that the Harbaugh brothers were groomed from childhood for this type of success and the fights that came with it. And I'm not just talking about the football entree they received from their youth, growing up inside college football locker rooms like at the Michigan Wolverines where they watched their father work with the legendary Bo Schembechler. Their football upbringing is unmatched. But there's more to it than that. And that's why I'm going to attempt something here. I'm going to attempt to take you inside the mind of a Harbaugh. I think you'll find it a fascinating place to be. You want to know what makes these guys tick? I think I can answer that. You want to know how a single family produces two of the best coaches in football today? I can tell you what's worked for them beyond the X's and O's. And I'll try to sum it up for you in one simple sentence. They relentlessly and enthusiastically fight for a higher purpose. Let me say that again because it's so important. They relentlessly and enthusiastically fight for a higher purpose. What is so special about that Harbaugh blood? I wish I knew. I, you know, I, I, because you meet all of them. Yeah. And they all have Joni, his sister, their sister, similar. I just talked to her last week. Yeah. She is similar. She is similar. <laughs> That's Kevin Byrne, who you heard from last week. He's the senior vice president of PR at the Ravens. Well, to demonstrate Kevin's point about the Harbaugh children all being alike, I read a quote to Joni that was given by her husband, the former Indiana men's basketball coach, Tom Crean. Well, this quote is describing her personality, but you tell me if it sounds like the two head coaches in Baltimore and Michigan. Now, you've probably heard this quote. I I, um, saw this quote from Tom on you. I think he gave it to the New York Mm. Times. And he says, she's opinionated, very smart, and she doesn't like to be wrong, and she rarely is. 
She'll race our kids mm. in the pool, and she's not letting mm-hmm. our two oldest beat her in anything. She wants to win. Joni is not going to lose an argument. To grow up in that house, you had to be competitive. Would you say that's accurate? I'd say, yeah. I think it's quite accurate. Probably. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's sad to say. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, I told him the other day we were, we were discussing something. I don't think we are arguing. We were discussing something. And I said, well, you know, the old saying, would you rather be right or happy? Well, it's like Dr. Phil, I think, said that. Would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Quite frankly, I'm good with both. Yeah. I think if I'm, I can <laughs> be right and be happy. Who says they're I'm mutually exclusive? I don't believe they are. So I try really hard to be right and be happy. <laughs> I love it. Well, what's funny is I, I don't, I obviously don't know Jim as well as John. I've been here since John was hired, but you could probably, you know, put the he's in for the she's and it, and it sounds like him also, you know, which, which isn't surprising. Uh, no, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Usually people like to compare and contrast John and Jim to pinpoint their differences. And there are many, but the brothers are probably more alike than different. The same is said of Joni. All three of them want to be right and happy. So how did they become so similar? Well, it's no different from any other family. It all starts with mom and dad and the lessons they taught their children. Their parents emphasized enthusiastic competition as a way to motivate their children to relentlessly take advantage of every moment, of every second, of every day. Here's Burn again. I don't know what mom and dad did, Jack and Jackie, to instill in their kids this ability to look at a moment and say, why can't we maximize this moment Mm -hmm. in some way? It's remarkable. It's remarkable. It's, I don't know if it's a self-examination they constantly do. Mm -hmm. I think religion is very important to the family. I think that's part of it. You know, the greater good. How Mm -hmm. can I do the greater good? What's what's to be expected me of this moment in the greater scheme of life? I think that's very important to them. Here's an example of how John maximizes what seems like an ordinary moment with his team during a typical meeting. And he goes, guys, let me ask you a question. There are 32 teams in the NFL having a Wednesday morning meeting. Is there any reason why we can't have the best meeting in the league today? Is there any team that could have a better meeting than we can? Does anybody think, raise your hand if you think there's a team that could have a better meeting than us right now. And I'm thinking to myself, what a wonderful way to get everybody's attention. Instead, he probably noticed somebody wasn't paying attention. (laughs) But instead of calling a guy out, he says... Hey, is there a reason we can't have the best meeting? Mm. I mean, he's inspired me <laughs> on a Friday afternoon to play better racquetball. If I'm having, if I'm <laughs> going to play a racquetball game before uh, I leave on, on a late Friday afternoon, and I pass him in the hallway, I'll say to myself, "Is there any reason I can't play the best <laughs> racquetball game I've ever played on a Friday afternoon <laughs> right, today? Right. Is there a reason? If I'm going to go play, I might as well do my best. Yeah. And so he's got that knack. He's, he's unbelievable. Uh, it's, it's funny because I keep trying to pinpoint that for the whole Harbaugh family. And what you just said, I don't think it's normal for people to be the greatest at what they're doing in that second. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like everybody wants to be a legend. Everybody wants to be great. Mm-hmm. But to get there, are you going to be the best at 
whatever it is, eating your lunch that day, <laughs> you know, like with the most healthy lunch that you could right. have ever in this world, you know. Um, I'm sure there are Sunday yeah. mornings in the off season where John's thinking to himself, is there a reason I can't make the best pancake <laughs> right. that Allison has ever had in her life? Right. I'm going to do that this morning. Right, right. <laughs> I have to stand and give a standing ovation to Jack and Jackie, yeah. uh, who I think, as an aside, are great teammates. Oh, yeah. They are a good team together. I think it's time to give a proper introduction to their father, Jack Harbaugh, who coached football for more than 40 years. Despite being 77 years old now, it's hard not to notice him when he walks into a room because of his loud and enthusiastic approach to everyday life. In fact, he's the one who invented the line, attack life with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Well, we followed the Harbaugh's to Ann Arbor, Michigan for a coaching clinic where Jack explained when he first used the phrase on his two young sons. When that all came up, unknown to enthusiasm unknown to mankind. It was Iowa back in 1972. Uh, John was, uh, I think, nine years old and Jim was eight years old and it was a dead of winter. Take them to school and these two guys were all bundled up in the back seat. They had the, remember the snow pants and the snow jackets and the hats and the earmuffs and sitting back there just miserable. I mean, absolutely miserable. Didn't have backpacks in those days, just had their books and took them for about five days. They'd get out of the car I mean, I'd watch them walk to school. I said, this, this is crazy. What's, what, where's the enthusiasm? So one day we're in the car and they're in the backseat. I said, gentlemen, we're going to attack this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. And I want to remind you, they got out of the car. <laughs> and it was exactly the same reaction. And then I think, and after that, after that, you'd say, don't take any wooden nickels. No, no, no one in here has any idea what wooden nickels are all about. But that who was... What a, who who, who knows the phrase, don't take a wooden nickel? Hey, it's not hard to figure out. You, you notice they're it. all gray-haired. <laughs> Coach Adolph raised his hand. You got your hand on. But, uh... So I know, I, I, want me to give the definition? Don't take any wooden nickels? I, I'm not sure I know. I know it. I know. Well, I know what it means to me. Is that uh, don't let somebody sneak up from behind you and hit you over the head with a bag of shit. <laughs> Don't let, one, don't let somebody put something over on you. That was a subliminal. That's don't what I took from it. <laughs> People in Iowa. I was going to get in a good football stance, shoulders over knees, over ankles, with a head on a swivel. <laughs> Nobody's going to put one over on you. <laughs> you That's go. not what you meant? I think so. <laughs> but uh, there's some other meeting that had to do with uh, wooden uh, nickels and, and streetcars back in New York. People would put wooden nickels in there and it would go through the machine and they got free rides. I think that was the original. Is that the original? No one knows. <laughs> but, but I just want to finish the story. I like my definition better. <laughs> so I think Jim got the job at Stanford and they were like, they were one in 10 the year before and he was at the press conference. And at the press conference, some reporter asked him, Jim, tell us what's the first thing you're going to do as a football coach at Stanford University. And I'm watching the press conference and I hear, we're going to attack this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. I said, wow, he was listening. <laughs> they listened. That was the first time I ever got any feedback on that story. Can you feel the energy that Jack brings to this auditorium of coaches? 
Well, I can tell you that energy, it's contagious. After I'm done talking to Jack, he has me feeling like I can move mountains. His optimism is extremely inspiring. And he's optimistic all the time. No matter how bad a situation seems, he makes it feel like it's the greatest opportunity on earth. This is Jim again. Sometimes we had a car, sometimes we didn't have a car. Uh, we'd come out, uh, and if we didn't have the car, we only had a car if there was a, a dealer car from his uh, coaching job. We didn't actually own a car, but sometimes they'd take the dealer car back and uh, he'd say, okay, boys, we're walking today. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. I want 100 dribbles with the left and 100 dribbles to the right. We're going to get better today. Jack simply came up with these phrases off the top of his head in the midst of life's small and mundane moments, the same moments most families face. All he wanted to do was motivate two little boys who were dragging their feet on a normal weekday. I doubt Jack envisioned that these phrases would soar in popularity throughout the football world. They're so popular they've almost become cliche now, which John says is a testament to the truth behind them. Rap artist Bailey got Jim to join him in a music video that featured the Harbaugh's rallying cry. I got one question, tell him Harbaugh. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! Who's got it better than us? Nobody! Why would you wake up every morning? I mean, you get, you get, to, we get to wake up every morning and like, we're alive. This is John. You know, we have this, um, this gift of life. It's like, we're alive. W would you rather not be? You know, so why wouldn't you be fired up and excited about that? Or, or he always says, you know, who's got it? He's always said this when he was kids. And he would draw it out. Who's got it better than us? And then, you you know, now our little Ainsley, our little nephew's like, somebody's got it better than us, Papa. Somebody's got it better than us. Somebody out there has to have it better than us. No, that's not the right answer. The answer is nobody, you know? And that's the way you got to say it. And our, my team, and Jim's team, my team, they love it when I ask him that. I probably should ask him more because they know it and they draw it out right. the Jack Harbaugh way. And I just, it's like, it's something I, I promise you they're sharing with their kids. And I think that's really cool. Talk about sharing with kids. I actually do it to my kids when I'm dropping them off. They say to me, because I'm waiting for them to say nobody, because I, I played <laughs> them the clip of your dad and they're like, Mom, you're not the Harbaugh's. <laughs> <laughs> Of course Ainsley is right. Somebody probably has it better than the Harbaugh's. They can't literally be on top of the world all the time. But that's not the point. The point is to approach life with hope and optimism so you can take advantage and maximize each moment, good or bad. That's why these are not just catchy sayings for the Harbaugh's with no action behind it. Enthusiasm is literally a way of life. It's a belief system. They believe that if you attack life with enthusiasm, you'll become a solutions-oriented person rather than a pessimist who is paralyzed by cynicism. Every roadblock can become an opportunity to get better if approached with the right attitude. This is John at the coaches clinic. It's not about what you can't do. And everybody always wants to, you know, be, be paralyzed by what they can't do. We have the same conversations in free agency. We can't do this, we can't sign that guy because we're going to lose this pick, or we can't go that route because it's going to cost too much. And a lot of times you can't do it. But by the time you start discussing all the things you can't do, all the things you can do, somebody else is already doing. 
I mean, find what you can do. There are lots of things you can do. There's an opportunity in everything that happens. We lost one of, our, one of the best offensive linemen in football, Coleccio Semele. I love him. Okay, we offered him eight and a half million dollars to come in a year to play for the Ravens. Would have, been, would have been the highest paid guard in football. It wasn't enough. Okay, are you kidding me? Okay, so he's getting, he's getting even more than that. I'm happy for Kalecha, I'm happy for Kale. He worked for it. He's in great shape. But that's not, that's not a, a minus for us, that's a positive. Now we got an opportunity to build an offensive line in another way, and we got that money. Jim has one more pointer on the topic. You want to be enthusiastic? I'll give you one more tip. Act enthusiastic. <laughs> he says it all the time. You want to be, be enthusiastic. You know, have a passion for something that you do. Then, then how do you be enthusiastic? Act enthusiastic. Oh, boy, am I enthusiastic! That's how you do it. While it's obviously worked for the Harbaugh's, my colleague John Eisenberg pointed out that being enthusiastic isn't the only way to ascend the coaching ranks and win games. It's just what has defined their family journey, which started with Jack when he began as a high school coach in Eaton, Ohio in 1964. He ultimately coached Western Kentucky to a Division I AA National Championship, and the boys clearly followed suit. It's probably unusual. I mean, that's the way they do things, and it's worked for them. This is John Eisenberg, columnist for the Baltimore Ravens. You know, I've been around a lot of coaches, and they all go through things different. They all handle it differently. Now, Bill Belichick, I don't know that people would say he attacks the day. (laughs) You know, I don't know what he does exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but he doesn't attack the day. Right. But whatever he's done has worked for him. So I think it's unique to them. And, and, and it, you know, I mean, there may be some others. Does Andy Reid attack the day? <laughs> I'm not sure he does. You know, so right. I think that all these coaches have MOs. And that work for them. That work for them. And there is no doubt that the Harbaugh MO is, you know, we're going to be up early. We're going to work harder than you. We're going to be sweating by 9 a.m. And what you don't know is that we're going to be smarter than you, too. Mm-hmm. But we're, we are going to work hard. We're going to work as hard. You're not going to outwork us. Some of that probably, that's Midwestern values. And I think it's uh, growing up. I, mean, I think you can get into a lot of sort of sociology there that, you know, maybe I'm a little over my head. But they grew up, it, it was not, an, I mean, it was a middle class, you know. I mean, they had entree into sports, but it was, you know, there was no doubt that you were going to work. And I do think John has sort of remade the Ravens into that, into that. You know, post Ray Lewis, uh, you know, there's no doubt some transition has occurred here, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it, it just had to. I mean, the heroes got old and they left, you know, and so you move on. You got to figure out something that you're going to be next. And so I do think that they, you know, if you can use one quality that can describe the Ravens, you know, win or lose in the last three or four years, it's, it's effort. They've always had a lot of effort. You know, really worked hard. So I think he sort of remade made the Ravens into that. Sterling was on display in the losing season. Yeah. And they so. They did not mail it in. No. Even week 17. No. When there was no chance to go to the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's working for them, you know, going yeah. forward. But it, so yeah, it's always, there's always going to be effort. And that starts with the coaches. That is the coach. That's the coach. Not only did Jack teach his kids to be enthusiastic, but he also taught them to fight for what they believed in. He learned that from his own father, who was briefly an amateur boxer. Jack said his dad lasted about seven fights, and then he got his butt kicked in the eighth and decided boxing was no longer what he wanted to do. But he was still known for his blue-collar toughness. 
he became an engineer for the Pennsylvania Railroad to support his five children and wife. Well, the apple didn't fall far from the tree, as there are numerous family stories of Jack getting into fights, both as a child and an adult. John recalls one vividly. My dad grew up in a real tough environment, you know, and it was actually in his town. He actually grew up fighting and knocking people's teeth out. And there's a lot of great stories there. I mean, you guys, the story about him, New Year's Eve story, you know, coming back when we were little kids. I tell it to, I, I should tell that story. Tell it, yeah, go for it? it. Yeah, please. My dad was coaching at, uh, at, uh, at Eaton High School, which is like 30 miles west of Dayton. And they were invited, we were, we were like two and three years old, and they were invited to a New Year's Eve party in Dayton somewhere. And so they go to the New Year's Eve party, and it's after New Year's, you know, and they're driving back home, and, uh, and they're on this kind of this road, and they're going through a tough part in West Dayton, uh, real bad area. And all of a sudden, you know, these two cars, three cars, pull up and start harassing them. And my dad, like he'll say, I probably cut them off, you know, mm -hmm. and they didn't like it, you know, and I was, you know, I was, made a mistake, you know, cut them off. And all of a sudden, they're like on the side, banging on the door, yelling oh, out wow. the window, you know, beer bottle, smashing, you know, and bumping them from behind. And finally, one of the cars just runs up in front of them and cuts them off on the side of the road and pulls them over and stops them. Wow. So there's a car in front and a car behind. Dad said maybe five or six guys, as he remembers it. And the mom's in the passenger side, and she's like, stay in the car, Jack, just stay in the car. And he's like, what am I going to do? I got nowhere, I, can't, I, I have nowhere to go, really. I can't pull out. I mean, mom will tell you that he could have pulled out, you know. So he jumps out of the car, and he had just gotten for Christmas a brand new, I'm going to say cashmere coat, brand new. He never had a, a dress winter coat before, one of those I'm long sure, coats. Yeah. Had the, like, the, the, the soft inside, the real slippery, kind of silky mm -hmm. inside type of a thing. So he's got this beautiful coat, and I love this coat. And he gets out of the car, and, uh, and he starts walking forward to the guy in front, and it's like, what's going on, you know, and... And uh, you know, the guys, he goes, you want to go? You know, we can, we can, we can fight. Are we going to let us go? You know, and so, so the, so, so the guy, then a guy, uh, so the guy pulls out a knife. Oh my gosh! I'm okay, pulls out a knife. So my dad turns and he goes, hey, I'm not, I'm not here to get in a knife fight. Right. So he turns around and he said, and the other guy is, is behind him now, and is right in his face, and right there. So he, as he turns around, the guy with the knife grabs him from behind and grabs both his arms and, and pulls his arms back, and the guy, so this guy punches him. Oh so my, my dad, gosh. my dad goes. He goes. Thank God for this coat because because his sleeves being so slippery, he slipped his hands out. And just as he pulled his hands out, he says he punched the guy. He caught the guy. Just perfect time. He caught him right on the chin. Just like, bam! Boom. Right now, caught him right on the chin. And my dad tells a story. Ever since we were kids, I dropped him like a sack of sour apples. <laughs> A sack of sour apples is how he fell to the ground. And the team reacts just like you react when he or I tell the story, you know. And the guy went to the ground, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and right, so, so kind of chaos ensued. He jumped in the car and he pulled out and driving away down the road. And he's driving away down the road. And uh, he realizes like five minutes later, it's like, my coat. My coat. I got to get my coat. I lost my coat. Jack, he's like, forget the darn forget coat. The, coat. the coat's gone, Jack. We're not going back there. He goes, no, I'm going back. He wheels the car around. Yeah. Heads back to that same spot, you know. And all the time, I'm like, that coat doesn't mean anything. Forget the coat, Jack. Right. Let's just get home. Yeah. Get two kids at home, you know. He goes back, and there's police cars. Oh, wow. He's police cars, you know. And so he pulls over. And, uh, and, you know, what happened? And they're like, that's the guy, that's the guy. And the police officer had him tell a story. You know, he told the story what happened. The guy says, hey, 
He goes, just get on there and go home. Oh, wow. And then send him home, you know. These are the typical stories that Jim, John, and Sister Joni grew up on. At bedtime, instead of reading traditional children's books to the kids, Jack used fighting or sports analogies as a way to inspire his children. Jim remembers a handful of them. A lot of people in the, in the football profession know Jack Harbaugh and, and of course, know, know my mom as well. How is he doing? I said, you know what, it's like he has not changed a bit. The time you knew him 40 years ago, he is the exact same that he is today. And as you, and you can see, there is, uh, he lives in like a vacuum of time. <laughs> he, he doesn't change. When John and I were uh, young, I, I know a lot of parents probably read their children's stories, uh, books. We were told stories. Uh, you heard one tonight, the Bill Mallory story. There's the Muhammad Ali story. There's the Wally Pipp story. <laughs> Lou Gehrig. Played over a thousand straight games. Those were those were our bedtime stories. Fito Antifermo is another story. It's just a wonderful, wonderful childhood uh, to be raised that way. One in particular is a Muhammad Ali story, which Jack used to demonstrate the power and meaning behind a name and the respect that you sometimes have to demand for that name. Well, Muhammad Ali actually visited a Ravens practice early in the 2012 Super Bowl season, about four years before his death. John asked his dad to come to practice to tell the story as he introduced the team to the legendary three-time heavyweight champion of the world. Muhammad Ali. Yeah. This is my hero. I have to tell you about the day and the time and what it was all about. And you got to remember, this man had gone through some things, some hardships, and some difficulties in his life. He changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. He had decided he was going to change his faith. He now was going to uh, be a part of the Muslim faith. And the world kind of looked at him a little bit differently. There were all kind of people out there who were against him. His, his own brothers in the boxing profession, they turned on him and they wouldn't recognize his name. They continued to call him Cassius Clay when his name was Muhammad Ali. And all he asked was for the respect. He asked for respect from those fellow fighters. February 6th, 1967 in the weigh-in. To a guy by the name of Ernie Terrell, who was a good friend of his. These guys had been friends for 12 years. They had fought in the Golden Gloves. Ernie was a training partner for Muhammad Ali. They weighed in and they looked across from each other. And my hero here said, Why don't you call me my name, man? Well, what's your name? You told me your name was Cassius Clay a few years ago. I never told you my name was Cassius Clay. My name is Muhammad Ali, and you will announce it right there in the center of that ring after the fight if you don't do it now. Next day, Houston, Texas, Astrodome, world heavyweight champion fighting Ernie Terrell. The first seven rounds, it was strictly Muhammad. He was in, he was out, he was right, he was left, in, out, jab, moving around. Out of the alley that we all know. Then in the eighth round, he locked both feet in the ground. And then he says, aha. And then it was boom. 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 Oh. Gotta keep that up. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> there were combinations of both hands. Four punch combinations. Yeah. Terrell started to spin to go down. Step up here again. <laughs> he started to spin to go down. And Ali grabbed him. Pulled him back up. No. Not yet. It's not yet your time. And if you ever listen to that broadcast, Howard Cosell and Joe Lewis 
did the broadcasting for the eighth round. And Howard Cosell said, I think Terrell has gone down. I think this is going to be an eighth round knockout. And Joe Lewis said, no, Ali is not ready. Ali has not punished him enough. He hasn't heard Muhammad Ali yet. He hasn't heard those words. And he won't go down until he's ready to put him down. anymore. All he did was put his gloves up to his face. Both eyes were cut. A cut here and a cut here. His left eye was completely closed at the end of the eighth round. Completely closed. The right eye was closing. At the end of the fight, Terrell said this, I couldn't see him anymore. Fight lasted 15 rounds. You know why it lasted 15 rounds? Why do you think it lasted 15 rounds? That's how long Muhammad wanted it to last. <laughs> Both eyes cut. And he said to the world this, what's my name? It became a battle cry in our family. We would talk to our John and Jim and Joni. What's my name? Respect. That's what we're looking for in this world. The Harbaugh family's physical fighting has evolved into more figurative wrestles for causes or core principles that they believe in. So fighting is encouraged but only as long as there is a higher purpose. In 2012, the year that they met in the Super Bowl, John and Jim were talking about the fights they endure on a daily basis as they try to build and hold their teams together. Well, after the conversation, John decided to use their conclusions as a motivating slogan for his team that year. So he printed t-shirts with the words on the front, the four fights every day. And on the back, it detailed those four fights. The first fight was us versus them. Second, division from within. Third, complacency. And fourth, fatigue. These types of fights require self-mastery, not fists. Avoiding division demands the unselfish exercise of putting teammates above yourself. Combating complacency requires a mental edge so you're not lulled into a false sense of security and a consistent healthy lifestyle helps overcome fatigue. I think one theme, like I'm thinking about this thing through, like to me the real theme about like us is like, it's, it's we're, I, how do I say it? We're, we're just like, we, we're, we're fighters, you know? We've always yeah. been fighters. The point is, is that like, like you know, we're just, we're not, we're, we're just kind of raised, we're not afraid to fight for, for success or for each other or for, or for what you think is right, you know, for your team. You know, I can even go back to after the, you know, the, after the championship game we lost and the, you know, the trick play things and the, and the deflate gate stuff and all that. And, you know, I've never backed down from any of everything we said. I told the truth right from the get-go, which has all turned out to be actually accurate and mm -hmm. right. You know, we didn't have anything to do with deflated footballs or reporting deflated footballs. I never see that get reported. We said from the beginning it wasn't, we weren't part of that, and we weren't. And, uh, or we said that, you know, we, we thought that those plays shouldn't have been allowed into the game, and it's been proven that they shouldn't, but they were. Not saying it's an excuse. We should have stopped them, you yeah, know. Yeah. But but you can't be afraid that you can't be afraid to speak up for what you think is right, what you think is true. And people want to disagree; they can disagree. So we've always been willing to fight, you know, our way out of something, you know, or acknowledge that you know, hey man, okay, I was wrong. I, I do think like you know, you have to have a purpose. Like if you're gonna fight, you have to fight for something. You know, you have to fight for a purpose, and that's part of it. It's not just fighting. 
it's fighting for something and for somebody and for something bigger than yourself. Yeah, and that's purpose. Just kind of, I feel like that's kind of what our family has been about, you know. And we haven't always been right, but we've always thought we were right. You <laughs> right. know, we always had a purpose. At least you believed in it. We believed in it, you <laughs> yeah. know. We believed in it, you know, and, and we, were, we were sticking to it, you yeah. know. When your dad came in and spoke to the team about Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. the four fights every day mm-hmm. that you bring to the Ravens, is that the Harbaugh's? I mean, that's that's... I'm just, what am I trying to say here? Because it's kind of off the cuff, but like you've made the Ravens reputation kind of the Harbaugh's reputation, <laughs> wouldn't you say? Just hardworking fighters. Yeah, I think so. I think that's part of the transformation, but I think it was always here. You know, I think that's why Yeah, it's it always a, been blue collar here. Yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was a good fit. I think, to me, that's what Steve, like, he figured it out for some reason. I mean, I don't know who else would have hired me necessarily in the NFL, but Steve saw it, and I think he saw the fit. Because yeah. he kind of got our family right away. Yeah. He, he, he's told me, I mean, he just, he got us right away. And it was just, he saw the fit with what it was. And so it was, it was a natural transformation from where the Ravens were and what they were to, who, to what, he, what he wanted them to continue to be and what they could become. Many would assume that winning or being the best is the Harbaugh's highest purpose. And while it's extremely important to them, winning isn't the absolute end goal. It's actually deeper than that. Winning is the tangible evidence that they're meeting that higher-end goal. This is something I started to discover while talking with Ravens general manager Ozzie Newsom. I asked Newsom what he thought was John's single greatest attribute is as a coach. Well, you know, I watch him. Uh, I think his passion and his work ethic, Hmm. his passion for being a coach, and he wants to be the greatest coach ever, and there's no doubt in his mind that's what he wants That's to That's a legitimate goal. Yes, yes he yes. wants to be Not that. some yeah. pie in the sky. No, no, no. He wants to be considered the greatest coach that ever coached. And he works at it. I mean, and he works at it on a daily basis. You know, and I, it could be some times where I think, okay, well, we kind of got it, what we wanted. And he'll come in there and say, well, what do you think about this? Mm. You know, so he's always pushing the envelope. I asked John about his goal to be the best coach in NFL history because that's a lofty goal considering his competition. There are the greats like Vince Lombardi, Bill Walsh, Chuck Knoll, and Paul Brown. Shoot, Harbaugh even competes regularly against who he thinks is the best ever in the Patriots' Bill Belichick. You know, I'm, I'm from his era, so I'm probably biased, but to me, he's the best coach in history, wow. the National Football League. I, I think the record proves it. Mm-hmm. But having played against him and done everything, you know, you know as you, that you can as a coach to try to win and compete and hang in there and try to overcome him, I know how hard it is. I know how good he is. So John knows how difficult it is to be the best because he faces it almost annually. And he's both been defeated by and victorious against it. He's fully aware that he's lost to Belichick more than he's won. But that doesn't make him shy away from openly declaring a goal that he and most coaches on this planet could easily fail to reach. That's because not even attempting to be the all-time best would be inconsistent with his faith which is very dear to John. Religion and faith aren't frequently addressed in sports reporting, perhaps because sports is where people go to escape such topics, and everyone's faith is their own business. But this is a side of John that I'm guessing most fans, and even his opponents, have never seen, even though it's a big, huge part of what makes him John Harbaugh. Both John and Jim went to Catholic school growing up, and John continued his study of all religions while attending Miami University in Ohio, 
as a political science major. Not only is it important to him, but it greatly affects who he is as the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. Is your dream to be make Ravens perennial winners, to be a perennial Super Bowl winner? Like, is that a real goal that you're like, I'm, I'm gunning for that and I'm gonna get it? Yes. But it's not just that. Okay. Right? So it's like, what does that mean? Like, it's way deeper than just that, you know? It's like, it's like, I think, I believe that, that, that life, that we're all, they're all created for glory, okay? That we're all created for glory, and it's for God's glory. So that the creator of the universe, like, why are we here? Okay, what the Bible will tell you is that we're here because, because of all the, all the, the principalities in the heavens, all the authorities and the leaders and the incredible beings that populate the universe, okay? And God's creation, all right? That's what the Bible says, that God created man for, to, to, to demonstrate his glory, that, that actually, that, that, that these creatures who are just kind of weak and helpless, that they could, without even ever really seeing God, having direct evidence of God, could actually believe in God. Okay, that's, that's where God's glory is. And like, like when, you, when you walk in that kind of a mindset, you realize like, oh my gosh, this is real, this could really happen. So what does God have in store for us? He has glorious things in store for us, okay? We get in our own way most of the time. Okay, right. we, we hold ourselves back because of our doubts and our fears and all those other kind of things. That's why the Bible says to be strong and courageous. Very strong and courageous, it goes on to say in Joshua 1. So it's like, that's, that's, that's what we're tasked to do in whatever area that we're given to do it. And because of your passions and, and where you're placed in life, it's that, that's your place, that's your area, what you have a, like a passion for. Like if you, have a, if you have an abiding desire that says, you know, I want to make a difference for, 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 for homeless people. I want to make a difference for kids in, in tough inner city schools. Or I want to make, I want to make a difference for, for, for people in Africa or whatever it might be, you know. Or I have a family that, you know what, this family to me is everything. These kids, I just adore these kids and I want to, I want to be a good dad or a good mm -hmm. mom. You know, that is what, that's where your glory lies, okay. And it's different for every one of us. So, you know, I know that I'm, I feel like I'm here for a reason. And it's not to be second, you know. It's to be, it's to be the best. And so my job is to work my, my tail off to become the best I can be and to trust God with all the outcomes of all that, you know? I want to make sure I understand that. So in your mind, those goals to be great, to be the best, comes from a desire to add glory to your creator. Right. So if he wants it, or he can make it happen, right. because he may want something for you that you can't even dream, right. then why limit yourself? Exactly. Okay. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I mean, just be excited. That goes back to enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Mm -hmm. And this is something like, I think we've all kind of like got our own view of this thing and our own piece of this thing in our family, you know, like what it really means. I don't think my dad thought it along these lines when he said it. He wanted us to be fired up, you know, in the morning because we were, we were dragging our butts <laughs> on the parking lot to school one day, you know what I mean? Right. And it came to him, you know? But I, I still think that's part of the amazing plan about these things. Is like these things are meant for far greater things than we can even dream of. So you start you start living your life and you start realizing it's like, I mean, why wouldn't you approach the day that way? Because man, you just can't wait to see what what what's in store for you. And you will have setbacks. You will be punched in the face. You will get knocked down. Mm -hmm. You will have to slip out of the coat and throw some punches. You know, you will. You just will figuratively. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
you got to be willing to fight, you know, and, and, you, will, and you will be wrong. You will, and you will have to say, I'm sorry, I screwed up. You know, I stepped on my own feet. I tripped myself up and I pulled three people down with me. Right. You know, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I was wrong, I learned from it, you know. And, you know, that's just like, to me, that's like, the, that's the glory of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. That's where the glory of the whole thing is, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's it right there. Whenever you speak, it seems like it's, it's God and faith is such a driving momentum. Where does that come from? And I even see it in Jim a little bit. Is it just innate in you? I, I mean. Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm, oh, I think it's. In I terms mean, of personally, faith. Yeah, I yeah. personally think it's innate in everybody. Okay. You know, like C.S. Lewis said, everybody has a, a God-sized hole, you know, in them, in their yeah. soul. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do think that's true for all of us, you know, and. Uh, it's just a matter of whether we address it or not, you know. It's the kind of the, the reasoning to understand that, you know, okay, what, what are we here for? What is this all about? And I've thought a lot, lot about it and, and read a lot about it and, and I've, you know, read scripture. I've listened to, I've listened to, I've studied other religions too, you know, as a political scientist, I've studied sure. all the other religions, you know, and basically to me, it's just, a, it's just so clear cut to me that that if there is a creator, which to me, clearly there has to be. I'll t I'll, you, you gotta, you know, you're going to come down on one side or the other. You can't be in the middle. It says in the Bible, you know, if, if we're lukewarm, God spits us out, you know. Like, and any of us would. You know, you got somebody who's walking the fence, mm. you know, that can't make a decision. One foot in, one foot out. Don't you hate oh, that? Me nuts. Be committed. Yeah. You know, what, do you, what side do you stand for, yeah. you know? And I think that's what God says to us, too. What do you stand for, mm -hmm. you know? Are you with me or against me? You know, it says in the Bible, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, I just choose. I'm going to be. I'm going to be with God. I want God to be for me. I don't want <laughs> yeah, God to be against me. You don't want to be against me. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to say, you know, I, I don't really know. I'm not really sure. It's like it's like none of us are really sure. You know, that's what faith is in the end. But but to me, it, it just it's so evident. I walk around. I look at I look at people or, or or just creation, and you're like, man, this is pretty awesome. You know, and that leads you down a, a path. But it's everybody has their individual journey, so Jim's and I's are probably different. But for me, it's a, it's an, just an abiding faith in 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 in, um, in, in grace, in the mm -hmm. saving, in the power of, of the grace of the cross. And I'm just all in for that because because it's either you're all in or you're all out. Mm -hmm. It's either you're 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 all in for hope, or it's just about despair and hopelessness. Otherwise, the existence is like completely meaningless. I'm all, I'm going all in for meaning. I'm saying everything has meaning. Yeah. And I'm I'm in for the power of that. And then the power, like if you connect yourself to the to the creator of the universe in an intimate way, which is what Christianity says that you do through Jesus, okay? Then you start doing it and you start realizing, oh my gosh, this is kind of real. This actually works, right? This actually this actually is powerful. This is transformative, okay? This is not just words or myths this is this is actually and how do you know because i know because it's inside of me i'm not the same can you hear the conviction in john's voice now whether you agree with his faith is really not the point the point is that john is all in when it comes to making the ravens a perennial super bowl winner and becoming the best coach of all time and that's because it's his way of connecting with his creator removing all man-made limits allows him to be like malleable clay in his creator's hands. When somebody is that deeply rooted in a belief system, watch out. Combine that with the Harbaugh way of attacking the day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind and their fighter mentality, and it isn't easy to knock the Harbaugh's off course. 
Kevin Byrne and the Ravens discovered that as soon as John came to town in 2008. I've been in the business a long time. So, you know, since 1977, every year except two years. So I've seen a lot of coaches. I've seen a lot of coaches fired and hired. What separates John from all the coaches I've ever worked with, and I've worked with some very good ones, is that John is relentless. He's not going to take the obvious. Mm -hmm. He is going to study it. He is going to miss sleep. He is going to ask people to help him so the study is more thorough. Mm -hmm. And he, the reason we will continue to succeed with John Harbaugh is that he still takes everything with the seriousness he took on day one. He's relentless in the pursuit of winning. Wow. Next time on Man of the Crowd. We made the very difficult decision to fire Brian this morning. I could be three coaches past Brian Billick nine years from now. There is a Hall of Fame coach out there, and it's our job to find him. He goes, and I will be a great head coach. I'm going to be a great head coach for somebody. But with the people in this room, I can be a great head coach here. And Steve said something like, well, we believe you can. You could see John's eyes kind of wander around the room. Then he looked over at Steve and he goes, are you offering me the job? <laughs> and what I saw in the eyes of the guys in the first meeting was just, no, we're not buying into this. Mm. Brian set the bar pretty high, so John, John better be successful. Hey, Man of the Crowd listeners, before you go, I just wanted to say thank you for such a strong showing of support for this podcast. We've been very happy with how many there are of you out there listening. And we'd love to have even more people find us. So please consider rating the podcast and writing a review. The more subscribers and the more positive ratings that Man of the Crowd gets, the more others will be able to find it too. Also, don't forget to continually check back on our microsite at baltimoreravens.com backslash man of the crowd for content that complements what you're listening to here, including biographies of key interviews I've conducted, photo galleries, and more. And as always... I want to hear from you guys after each episode. If you have any comments or questions or whatever, hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at SG Ellison. I look forward to your feedback and would love to interact with you. Okay, that's it. That's all I've got. But I'll be back next week with episode three, Steve Bashotti's fear of being wrong. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.